In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all the kids and teenagers up through the ninth grade please come forward. How's everybody? Good. I have a story I want to Come on, Jeremy. There we go. There we go. You want to sit right here? There we go. A story I want to tell you about a man a long time ago. This is before they had electricity. They had candles, you know, and they had oil lamps. And so this man who owned the, the property, the house and everything... And he had uh, maids and butlers and all that kind of stuff. He went to a party one day. And he didn't tell them when he was going to come back. But he would be back sometime, probably in the middle of the night. And so they started, uh, the the maids and the butlers, they cleaned the house. And they started, and they started waiting. They started waiting for the master to return home. And, And it got later and later and later. And darkness came. Finally, darkness came and they kept waiting for him to come home and he didn't come home. And the stars started coming out all over the place and the moon started sinking in the sky. It was really dark outside and they kept looking out the windows and and they kept looking out the windows for the man to come home and he never came home that night. I mean, he didn't come home until later on. And so finally, finally, finally the man made it home. You know, why, why were they looking out the window? They wanted to be ready, right? They wanted to be ready when he came home so they could help put him to bed and make sure he was, everything was okay and the house was in order. They were, they were wanted to be ready for him to come home. Now, when I threw this to you first, you weren't ready for it, were you? Were you ready for it when I threw it to you? Were you ready for it when I threw it to you? The more I throw it and threw it, I think the more you would be ready because you'd be expecting it, right? Because... I keep throwing it, you'd be expecting it, right? Well, that's the way our Christian lives are. You know, we, we have to be ready for when Jesus comes again. And, and the more we practice being ready, like when I throw this at you and you throw it back, the more I do it, right, you're ready to catch it, right? Well, when we practice our Christian lives, the more ready we will be when Jesus comes again. We'll be ready to receive him as the Lord of the universe. We've already received him into our lives. But he's going to come again someday. We're promised that. And he's going to make everything right. There won't be any more, uh, eventually, there won't be any more sin, no more tears, no more death, no more pain, no more sickness. God's going to make everything right. And we have to prepare ourselves for that to happen. We have to be ready. God wants us to be ready. Just like in the gospel story, we have to be ready. Are you, are you messing with your sister, Judith? Huh? Yeah. All right, y'all be ready, okay? I'm going, to, I'm going to preach the adult sermon. Thank you all for coming up. Thank you. Oh, if you want to get a packet to color over here, you're more than welcome to from Mr. Deer. 
We have some guests with us today, and so I need to explain to you that Will and Flora and Trey and Sherry and Ken and Jennifer, I need to explain to you that the congregation expects me to start with a joke. They demand it. In fact, they demand that I start with a joke, and that's what I'm going to do. So there's this man who felt very ill upon returning to the United States from uh, his trip abroad, and he goes to see his doctor, and he is immediately rushed to the hospital to undergo this barrage of extensive tests. And the man wakes up after the tests in a private room at the hospital, and the phone by his bedside rings, and the voice comes across, says, this is your doctor. We've got the results back from your test, and we found that you have this exceptionally dangerous virus that is extremely contagious. And the man cries out in a panic, oh my goodness, what are you going to do? And the doctor says, well, we're going to put you on a diet of pizza, pancakes, and quesadillas. And the man asks, hopefully, will that cure me? And the doctor replied, well, no, but it's the only food we can slip under the door. <laughs> and then there was a man who phoned the hospital in this state of excitement. My wife is pregnant. Her contractions are only two minutes apart. And the doctor asked, is this her first child? And the man quickly responded, no, you fool, this is her husband. I begin this sermon by asking you a simple question. How do you think God feels when people speed along through life without giving thought to what God has done for us in and through his son, Jesus Christ? And I ask this question because I find in this ministry that many people are just kind of drifting along through life without giving a whole lot of thought to God and what he has done and continues to do for us. I told a story many years ago, and I would like to incorporate that story into this sermon today. It's about a, a turntable bridge which spanned this large river, and this was a long time ago. During most of the day, the bridge was set parallel with the river allowing ships to pass freely on both sides. But at certain times each day, a train would come along and the bridge would be turned across the river, allowing for the trains to cross on the tracks. A switchman, he sat in a small shack on one side of the river where he operated the controls to turn the bridge to lock into place everything that needed to be locked as the train crossed. Well, one evening as a switchman was waiting for the last train to come across for the day, he looked off into the distance through the dimming twilight and he caught sight of the train's light. And he stepped to the controls and he waited until the train was within, with, within a prescribed distance when he was to turn the bridge into position. And he turned the bridge, 
But to his horror, he found that the locking mechanism wasn't working. If the bridge was not locked into position securely, it would wobble back and forth at the ends when the train came across it. This would cause the train to jump its track and to go crashing into the river. This this train was a passenger train with many people on board. And so he left the bridge. He turned across the river, hurried across the bridge to the other side of the river where there was this lever he could use to operate the lock manually. By now he could hear the rumble of the train and he took hold of the lever and he leaned backward as far as he could to apply pressure so as to keep the mechanism locked. Many lives depended on this man's strength. And then coming across From the direction of the control shack, he heard a sound that made his blood run cold. Daddy, Daddy, where are you? His four-year-old son was crossing the bridge to look for him. His first impulse was to cry out to the child, run! But the train was too close, and those tiny legs would never make it across the bridge in time. The man, the father, almost lifted the lever to run and snatch up his son to carry him to safety, but he realized he could not get back to the lever in time. Either the many people on the train or his son must die. He took just a moment to make his decision. The train sped swiftly and safely on its way and no one on board was aware of a tiny broken body thrown mercilessly into the river by the rushing train. Nor were they aware of the pitiful figure of a sobbing man still clinging tightly to the lever long after the train had passed. Neither did they see him walking home more slowly than he had ever walked home before to tell his wife how he had to sacrifice his own son. Do you believe this story? That a father would allow his own son to die for the sake of all those people? What would you have done? If you can comprehend the feelings which went through this man's heart, then you can begin to understand the feeling of our Heavenly Father when his son was sacrificed on the cross to bridge the the gap between all of us and eternal life. So back to the original question, how do you think God feels when people speed along through life without giving much thought to what God has done for us through his son Jesus Christ. In our epistle reading this morning we find that the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews is to rescue Christians, church members who are drifting away from the faith they once professed, church members who have left off 
thinking about what God has done through, for us through his son. And the author of Hebrews was passionate about bringing the church back to a strong, vibrant faith. And before we zoom in on our reading from chapter 11, it might be helpful to look just briefly at what the rest of the book of Hebrews is about. The author, he launches from the very first verse into a deep reflection of who Jesus Christ was and is. In his first chapter, the author uses some of the most creative ideas in the New Testament to describe Christ's divinity. He says Christ is the reflection of God's glory. He says Christ is the exact imprint of God's very being. He says Christ is the instrument of creation. You see what he's doing. The author is firmly establishing the place of Jesus Christ within the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then in the second chapter, the author works just as hard to communicate the humanity of Jesus. Jesus, he says, became lower than the angels. He tasted death and endured testing and suffering. Throughout the book, these two aspects of Jesus' identity, his divinity and his humanity, affect every argument the author makes for maintaining the faith and not drifting away from the faith. Why? Because the very reflection of God's glory, Jesus Christ himself, knows what it is like to live in our skin. When we come to our reading today, chapter 11, the author begins to recount the history of some of the heroes of the faith from the Old Testament. And though these stories are very much condensed, they allow us to see how the, these Old Testament stories feed our faith. He introduces these stories with a remarkable sentence you've heard over and over again. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Things hoped for. We live in the hope that God forgives our sins through Jesus Christ. We live in the hope that God will heal creation from sin and pain. We live in the hope that God will redeem our present suffering. We live in the hope of these things because of who Christ is, as Hebrews has worked so hard to explain to us. Faith is the persistent trust that these things will come to be in Christ's time, in God's time, even though we don't see them right now. The author tells those who are drifting away that faith keeps us going when the hope is not yet realized. You know what I find? I find that church members today, they rarely make the decision that they no longer believe the doctrine of our faith. They don't just sit down one day and decide that they don't believe in God anymore. They don't just consciously decide that the church has no real mission. They don't just decide that Jesus was just a man 
after all. That kind of thinking is very rare. No, Christians move away from the church in a different process. They drift away slowly. And too often this drifting away happens perhaps when a youth leaves high school after years of participating in the church. They go off to college only to drift away from the church and other things begin to seem more interesting and more helpful. And without the familiarity of of their home church, they don't have the motivation to get involved. Other people drift away slowly, one turned off alarm clock at a time. Or sometimes one bad experience at church, or one argument at church, or one incident of hurt feelings will cause people to drift away from the church. And underlying these reasons may be the feeling that we just don't see much happening at the church right now. You know, rather than ushering in the kingdom of God, the church seems to fall into a routine. And what Hebrews might be calling us to do is to see how God is working even in the routine, how God works in the ordinary. That's the most common place where God works. Even when it seems like nothing much is happening. And so the author of Hebrews exhorts his readers to practice the faith every single day, even when you don't feel like it. Even when it seems like ordinary living. Let me switch for just gears just a bit. The author of Hebrews also tells us how our Christian faith may seem to be a threat to the world around us. In just a few verses after our reading this morning, the author of Hebrew asks, why were those heroes of the faith stoned to death, sawn in two, killed by the sword? Why did, why did they go about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented? And the answer was, because the as Hebrews says, because the rulers of this world perceived the faithful to be a threat, us to be a threat to the government. The faith of a Christian, the faith of the church is a threat to the rulers of this world because faith in Christ means that we cannot be manipulated by the rewards and the punishments of this world because faith in Christ means that we cannot be bought with the world's comforts because we have already been bought by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We cannot be controlled by the threat of death because we have already died and risen again in Christ. So the question is, might you have been manipulated by the rewards and the punishments of this world? Might you have been bought by this world's comforts? Might you have been controlled by the threat of death? If so, then you have already begin, begun to drift away. But if you stay in tune with these biblical truths that we have already been bought by the sacrifice of Christ, that we have already died in Christ, then we are much, much less likely to drift away. You know, back when I lived in Dallas a long time ago, before I was ordained almost 35 
years ago. I was a member of a church in the Oak Lawn area, a very small church, high church, Holy Cross Episcopal Church back then. And a family came to join us one Sunday morning, which was very unusual. We hardly ever had guests on Sunday mornings. We wanted them, we just didn't get them. And even more peculiar was that it was a, a, a black Sudanese Dinka family who couldn't even speak English. They had escaped the persecution in the Sudan, made their way to this low-income housing area close, somewhat close to the church. They were already Anglican. They knew the Anglican liturgy in their own language. And they knew it was Christian responsibility to worship in God, to worship God in church every Sunday. And so they found us. From three miles away, they found us. And they walked to church that Sunday and many Sundays following. And then they began to bring other Sudanese refugees with them. And pretty soon, a third of our very small congregation was non-English, Dinka-speaking Sudanese refugees. And we helped them to get established in living quarters, helped them with food and clothes and furnishing, and began helping them with their English. And they helped us to grow spiritually because they knew the answer to the question, how do you think God feels when people speed through life without giving much thought to what God has done for us through Jesus Christ? It was through their persecution that they related probably better than we do to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. They knew what real sacrifice was all about. They did not speed through life without giving thought to what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. People of God, do you truly believe the Christian story? Do you truly believe our story that a father would allow his only son to die so that all who believe in him should not perish but might have eternal life. Stay strong in the faith. Do not allow the things of this world to cause you to drift away. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.